amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform, Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. It's about not focusing on the deficit and really looking at your life and what is in your life that is filling your life up. And I think that that really does help. And I shifted from there because I saw what I really had. I embrace it. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, We release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California? and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Hello, lady. Today, we have a very special guest in Cultivating Her Space podcast. We actually have my new therapist here on the show, so I'm super excited for this conversation. Eve Marie is a woman that affirms daily that she is only here for God. Her passion is to live on purpose and loving, coaching, encouraging, and inspiring others to get to know, own, and accept themselves. For over 40 years, Eve Marie has been in the pursuit of peace, and today she believes that she has mastered her prescription for how to live a life of peace. On this journey, she has earned a master's degree in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University. She is licensed in marriage and family therapy and certified in life mastery and well-being coaching. 
Eve Marie is also the founder and executive clinical director of a faith-based private practice for well-being, Eve's Place of Peace. Eve Marie, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. We're super excited for this conversation today. Me too. Yes, we are. And so we are going to dive right in with our quote of the day. And Eve Marie, this quote of the day should sound really familiar to you because this is one of your words of wisdom. As humans, we tend to hold on to people and things we have a deep love for. Holding on in general is about us trying to have control. We hold on mostly because we don't want to feel the pain and sadness that come along with letting go. So we do whatever we can to avoid those feelings. But pain and sadness are part of our human experience. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. And I think that that particular word of wisdom, it applies to our conversation today. As we talk about what it is like to have a family member who has mental illness or psychological disorder and what that really looks like in that journey to finding peace for ourselves. So are we ready to dive in? I think I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. So can you tell us a bit about your origin story and what prompted you to dive into the world of psychotherapy? Sure, absolutely. I think for sure it's my story. It's my origin story that brought me here. And really, I always thought it was my mother who suffered from mental illness because she did from a young child and from trauma. And however, in realizing once I decided, because this is a second career for me, originally I was in human resources and I've always been an entrepreneur. And so the idea, you know, in looking through my journals, when I was going through my, I want to say midlife crisis at 40 and deciding what I want to do with the second half of my life, it was clear in my journaling that I was always engaged in helping people, you know, through my church, me and my husband ran small groups for couples. I had volunteered for Suicide Hotline, the Rape Crisis for Families. I had started Girls Talk uh, for teenage girls in high school as a, as a safe place to talk about everything, their sexuality, but just everything that, you know, young people go, go through. The idea, though, in reflecting in those journals, you know, this is this was always my calling. And it was because as a young person, I suffered and um, suffered with so much shame around not having a mom or my mom not being available, you know. And so in studying, going back, then I realized in my studies that, you know what, my father suffered too. So I had two parents that suffered with, I'm going to say severe, now that I am a therapist, I can say that it's both of them, severe mental illness. And really, that's why I'm here, is to help others really master who they are and how to navigate and heal from shame and all the other you know, defenses that rise up because we, you know, have mentally ill parents or family members. Wow. 
I, I can definitely appreciate your origin story. And I think that it's beautiful how you transition careers, but it wasn't necessarily a transition in the sense that you were already in the giving and helping with others in general. And so, but yes. there's one, there was one thing that you said in terms of your parents having severe mental illness. Can you tell us what is the definition of severe mental illness? Because, you know, we know like statistics show that the majority of us will experience some level of anxiety or depression in our lives. And so what is severe mental illness? Like what psychological disorders would be considered severe? Psychological disorders, there's a spectrum. And so there's mild, moderate, severe. And so severe is really when you are not able to really function in day-to-day living. You're not able to really hold a job and do what is required of you as a human being to take care of yourself. That's really severe. And I would say that both of my parents throughout my lifetime both suffered to the extent that they couldn't take care of themselves at different points in time, let alone their children. Thank God for grandparents, right? Because they they stepped in to help. That's right. Thank God for grandparents. (laughs) Gotta love them. Yes. So, Ingrid, can you tell us a little bit about your words of wisdom? That's something that you really focus on in your practice. And so can you tell us about, I guess, what inspired you to create your words of wisdom? And then what exactly are the words of wisdom and how do they help people with powerful shifts in their lives? I'm going to say that I am a creative at heart where both my parents are, are, are creative as well. And so I've always been a writer. Like I said, I kept a journal always just about my entire life. And so I think it was when I really, I don't know how to put it, I guess when, in, again, in that, in that phase of being midlife crisis, I started really writing and I think it was about the healing and about what was my next step, because that was a surrender on where, where does God want me to be? And so from there, it, it was really just writing every day. And it was really about peace, just living in peace. And it was, it was designed to really help other people. And so the words of wisdom come from a, a place of all of my experiences. I had a client that shared with me at some point and I loved it and I've coined it and I keep saying it that my go through is for somebody else. Right. And so it's, that's what the words of wisdom really is about. It's about my go through and leveling up somebody else's life because what I have walked myself through now I can walk others through. And so that's what the the words of wisdom are about, you know, I'm starting a words of wisdom walk actually. And it was a filmmaker that had encouraged me to do it. Unfortunately, a couple months ago, he passed away, but I'm still in the process of how could I, he said, having a romance with the camera, learning how to walk and talk and feel comfortable. And I have a partner, Doris Julie, who has always been a spiritual connective sister. And we are really, and our experiences are so different. And so just really sharing life's wisdom and the things that we've been through with other people, it really is helping others resonate and and have tools, know they're not alone, release shame. That's what it really is about. 
All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone, not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans, and it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black stories, Black truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the rich black auntie. It was good. Now, you know, black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. That's beautiful. I really love that. And so how do you use the words of wisdom specifically around helping someone cope with a loved one who has mental illness and perhaps that loved one is treating them poorly? Oh, that's so interesting. You know, when I work with clients, whether it be in a coaching capacity or whether it be in therapy, you know, as a woman of color, when I first started this, first started my practice 10 years ago, you know, we're taught in graduate school, we're this empty slate. And so, you know, you can't really be transparent. It's client centered. People, you know, your clients don't know anything about you. And I knew, I knew that either I had 
spent too much time in graduate school and I was really designed to be a coach because I knew I was, that was not going to be my style as it related to being transparent because of what I knew I was bringing to the table and why. So I think that my words of wisdom come through when I'm trying to help my clients humanize the experience of being in relationship, first of all, with someone who is mentally ill, helping them understand the illness and differentiate the illness from the person. You made me think of another question already, okay. Marie. One of the things, this is a personal topic okay. for me. So if you, if I, if you sense that I'm triggered today, I probably am. So it's all good. We're still, we're all working okay. progress, but even we, I want to know, yes, we what are. is the best way to develop compassion? Yes. What is the best way to, to develop compassion when you're, when you are interacting with someone that does have mental illness? Because I find that for me, it's sometimes hard to see it as an illness when you cannot see it. and it's easy for me personally, I don't know about anyone else, but to take things personally when someone appears to be okay and they're, they may have great potential or be extremely intelligent and you see them doing well in other arenas of life, but you're like, wait a minute, something doesn't add up. So how do you develop compassion and work on being so triggered? The key word is like you said, something doesn't add up. And so you recognize that something's wrong, but, but to develop compassion first, I think it starts with you. I think it starts with, with you knowing yourself, you owning yourself and where your stuff comes from, you recognizing that we are human beings that are all flawed. We all want grace. And so it starts with that grace and that love that we give to ourselves. And as you work to give that to yourselves, it penetrates and you can give it to other people. So I like to say that really does start with self and having an understanding and grace of giving that. And then you it, it permeates to other people. I love that, that it, that it starts with self. And so then speaking of self, how do we set boundaries, you know, so we've got the compassion down, we've got the grace down. How do we then set boundaries to protect ourselves when we're interacting with someone in our lives who's experiencing mental illness? Yes, that's a tricky one too. And again, the boundaries that are set are unique to who you are. You know, a lot of times we want to talk to our friends and other family members and they tell them, well, girl, this is what I do. Or you want to do that. But really, it's it's again, it goes back to you knowing yourself and you knowing what is uncomfortable for you, what your tolerance is, what your life looks like, how much you can take, what season that you're in. All of that dictates what the boundaries look like with that mentally ill person. And I'll I'll sort of give you an example. It's in my own life and dealing, let's say, with my mom. So my dear, loving, wonderful mother, and I am so grateful, know that I am so grateful for my mother today. And while she has suffered and has caused a lot of suffering in, in my life, I no longer take it personal. I have forgiven my, you know, have forgiven my mom and in setting boundaries with her, it would look like, you know, over the years, I recognized after about, let's say, in mom's presence after about 20 minutes, 
she starts to get triggered. And I realized over the years in talking with mom, I'm a trigger for her, from her abuse mom, because I remind her of her mother, my disposition, how I show up, being overly responsible. You know, my mother suffers with a mental illness since she was a child. So her capacity, her mental state is sort of like a teenager. So when I come at her, I'm coming at her like an adult. And after 20 minutes, that's too much adulting. And it triggers her. And I realized that over the years. So a boundary in knowing myself is after about 20 minutes, I know that's enough time of being in the presence with my mother. So therefore, you know what? I might visit her 15, 20 minutes. I'm taking her food. We talk for a little minute and I'm out 20 minutes. If it's a holiday, I already know I've got to prepare myself if it's going to be an all day of what that looks like. Otherwise, I'm going to do something different with that holiday with my mom, depending on what season. So I think that's that's an example of a boundary. She's older now, right? I, I loved her from a distance, really didn't talk to her every day, didn't need to know her everyday interaction. It was a lot for me. But now that she's older, my mom is like in her 80s. I have to check in on her. How does that look? That's healthy for me. That's just a simple, you know, couple minute phone call every day. Hey, mom, how you doing? You okay? I know within the first 10, 15 seconds whether or not she's taking her meds. At that point, I can find out a little information. I can help troubleshoot to get her what she needs. That's the boundary. Would she like me to come over and spend a whole lot of time with her? I can't do it. My life is full and it would drain me beyond drain me. So I know what my limits are. I love my mother. I know what my limits are. I no longer hold that level of, of guilt about what I can do and what I can't do. I know what I can do and I stay true to it. That is a beautiful example. Oh, that's so perfect. Can we, let's dive into more examples. I feel like examples, because these situations are so tricky. And so hearing (laughs) someone else's perspective on how they're dealing with it, I think is super helpful. I know for me and my, the work that I've been doing on myself, one of the things that comes up is what do you do with the, I want to say the gaping hole or the void that you feel from a loved one that does have a mental illness and they don't have on their shelf what you're desiring, what you need. You might need affection and love. You might need, and you might feel as though you need an apology, right? But that person doesn't have the capacity Absolutely. to do that. What are we to do with what we feel as though we're lacking because that person hasn't showed up in the way that we want them to? Absolutely. And that's a part of the lacking, right? The lacking is part is is also rooted in what the pain the trauma of them not being there right and so it's it's a matter again of understanding really understanding and not taking personal how that parent showed up and the fact that you said it Terry they don't they don't have the capacity to give you what it is that you want and so If you stay focused on that, then you're going to continue to stay in that level of hurt and pain because you're staying focused on the deficit. And so to tell you a story, it was, again, 
this was a milestone for me. I guess big year was my 40th birthday and going through that midlife crisis. And, you know, I never had thrown a party for myself. And I thought, oh, 40 is a big one. And it was somewhat painful for me because I believe it was my 40th birthday. My mom wasn't going to be there. And I don't recall why it's either she was in the throes of either substance abuse or whatever the case would be, but I'm giving this big brunch and she wasn't going to be there. And naturally that was painful for me. And I was focused on it. And so it was even more painful because it's like, here I'm turning 40, I've gotten here and I still don't have my mama, right? It's painful. However, I invited a lot of people in my life that I love and that have been there. And so we're sitting at brunch. Oh my goodness. And I get up to say a speech to say thank you to everybody that had come to celebrate my life. And as I look around the room, it was the most beautiful, profound gift that God had given me. Because as I looked around the room, it was one auntie after another. You know, some people don't even have God moms. And I had several and play moms and neighbors. And it was all these mother figures that was revealed to me in that moment that I just couldn't even talk. I was just overwhelmed with what God had given me. And it was all of this wisdom, all of this caring, all of this covering, all of this showing how to be a woman, how to have character, how to walk in integrity came from all of these beautiful women that sat there in that room with me. So it's, it's Terry, it's about not focusing on the deficit and really looking at your life and what is in your life that is filling your life up. And I think that that really does help. And I shifted from there because I saw what I really had. I embrace it. So beautiful. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Too. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I love I love that too. I know one of the things that I usually tell my clients is that if there's a need that you're noticing or something that you feel that you're lacking, like a, like a mother or a father figure, you can get that need met elsewhere. And while it may, it may yes. hurt and there may be some work around the grief and the loss of not having your actual parent be the person to provide it, there are so many other ways in which you can still have that need met. And I think your example was such a beautiful, beautiful example of that. Yeah, that was a very profound moment. Yeah. So one question I do have is, how does one begin to tell if someone in their life has mental illness? You know, like I mentioned before, We all have moments of anxiety and depression, right? But how do we know that the person in our life, whether it's a parent or another loved one, is experiencing symptoms that are worthy of like a diagnosis? So again, I think it's when we're close to people and, and we're around our family members and we can see their level of maybe functioning is going down. Maybe they're, they're maybe more frustrated. Again, you, we're looking at their, their level of how they show up in the world and what they're able to do. Severe is you're not even really being able to take care of yourself. 
but somebody who's mild, maybe, you know, they're, they're sad. It's like checking in on somebody. Somebody's really anxious or having panic attacks or you, or you might notice, or they share with you what they're going through. It's like really encouraging them. Have you seen a doctor? Even sometimes emotional health without us taking care of it right? will start to manifest in our body. And we think, oh, it's something physical when really it's our stress levels that is now affecting us in our, in our body. And so I, I think it's about checking in on people and seeing how they're feeling. And again, if somebody is, is, is operating very different than what you know to be, don't just ignore it. Ask them. So I think that's how we know, you know, and in children, of course, there's developmental stages. And if a child is not, you know, performing to that stage, well, then we check in with a doctor to find out, you know, somewhat of going some of what's going on. But with adults, it's it's a little different. And with teenagers, it's like irritability. It's isolation. You need to check in on them, find out what's going on, ask questions. And same with adults. A lot of times adults, because we don't understand mental illness so much, we try to hide it, right? Because it's a stigma, unfortunately, attached to it. And we don't want people to know. But it's like what we're doing now is helping release that stigma. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I know you talked a bit about some of the things that we can do or a perspective shift that we can have when we are focusing on what we might be lacking in mm-hmm. all actuality, we might actually have an abundance of some type of energy that we're desiring. Are there any suggestions or activities for maybe inner child work that we can do to help with that? Because I, I know for me, in my experience, again, this is personal, y'all, so I'm talking about my experience because that's what I know. But when it comes to inner child work, are there any activities that you can recommend when that inner child comes up and is kind of longing for those things that you've talked about, like the, you know, the, the mother energy or the father energy? or just looking for that person that isn't there. I know you share some with me personally, but I'd love to kind of share it with the listeners as well. I definitely think definitely with inner child work, but I think if you're going to do the inner child work, I would highly recommend that you do it with a professional that can witness it, can walk you through, that can help you, that can help you differentiate between that little child self versus your adult self. It's learning to love on and talk to that child self as you're being triggered from those past traumas. Journaling is very, very helpful when those feelings or emotions or you're triggered, you can purge them, allow the paper to hold it, sort of work it out, pin the paper. I found that that find that that's a really good tool. But I always like to say when you're doing that inner child work, it's just really important if you've grown up with childhood trauma. Do it with a professional, work with a professional, because you can re, re-traumatize yourself all over again. It's, I think that it's nice if you have a professional that you're working with. I think that that's, that's a beautiful point there to, like, to make sure that we do have someone with us who can bear witness and can hold that with us and can help us and guide us through that from a professional, from a professional stance. So I do want to shift just a little bit. So you talk about being faith-based, right? And I know earlier you mentioned that, you know, for those of us that are mental health professionals in our training, we aren't taught to incorporate a lot of ourselves into this work. 
So can you talk to us a little bit about how you incorporate your faith into the work that you do with clients? Oh, absolutely. I love it. I couldn't do it any other way. And so really me being a faith-based practitioner really means that I draw upon the belief systems of my clients to help them heal and to help them grow. It's not my faith. It's their faith that I'm drawing on. Certainly, we bring our whole selves to the room. At least I decided as a therapist or in a coach, I bring my whole self to the session. So yes, I'm going to bring my belief system, but I'm not projecting that on my clients. They bring both. So I see clients anywhere, I don't know, from Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Taoism, across the board, religions, denominations, wisdoms, and philosophies, right? But again, I'm drawing upon something greater than themselves to help them heal and to help them grow. And it's interesting, all these years I've been doing this work, right? I'm talking about mm, the God I serve, and they think I'm talking about the God they serve. And I like to always say <laughs> that when we boil it down, it really is the greatest is love. And we're, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's learning yourself, who you are owning, accepting, becoming that, that best version. And that comes with love and compassion. So it's love. So that's how I incorporate that. That's so beautiful. I love that it's not like a cookie cutter, I want to say experience for you, Eve Marie. It really is you sort of, you bringing your full self, but also tailor making the experience to the particular client that you're speaking to. I think that's beautiful. And I'd love to also know, what is your favorite thing about doing this work, about diving into these potentially sensitive topics with your clients? What's your favorite thing about doing this type of work? My favorite is when I see people just really get to know themselves and understand why they do what they do and where it comes from and knowing that I'm a facilitator. You know, my gift to this world is encouragement, it's motivation, it's inspiration, and it's helping others find those gifts within themselves. And I get to do that every single day. <laughs> and the second part is in I that, that, right? I get to operate in my <laughs> gifts. I get to operate in my gifts. And I get to talk about God all day long. Yes. <laughs> it's no it's no greater joy. I love that. I'm just watching the therapist connection now. You and Dr. Don, the therapist connection. I see Don shaking her head and smiling. I'm like, yes, I see it. That's so amazing to be able to do that work. It really is. It, it's a blessing. It it's you no know? greater joy. It, it's it is. Exactly. What's one thing, Eve Marie, that you wish that your clients knew coming into the therapy process? You know, it's really interesting. What would I want my clients to know? You know, my practice, my practice, you know, I, I decided early on as it related to the specialty being faith-based and working with entertainment and creatives. And the idea 
is, and I only work with, I want to say high functioning professionals, as you will, right? And so what would I want them to know? A lot of times I'm that sort of like they've been to therapy, 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 and I'm like that last therapist. So it's not so much, you know, because I, I guess I'm like that last therapist that I'm trying to articulate this that would that they would probably see, right? Because it's that maybe they've learned up to this point what their illness is, how to navigate it, how to navigate it, and now they're at a season in their life. Maybe it's a transition in their life. Maybe the depression came back up. Maybe the anxiety is showing up, or maybe someone again is navigating relationships with with other people. So. There isn't really, you know, I think that it's pretty self-explanatory when, when I do an intake, what I'm looking for as it relates to fit. Because I'm transparent, I can't work with certain personality disorders because that, therefore I couldn't really be a transparent therapist because it wouldn't be so helpful to the client. It's like I'm very specific as it relates to my kind of specialty I don't really know how to answer that other than I'm very specific on the clientele and I'm teaching again, a prescription for peace, how to know, own and accept yourself. And I'm coaching you to become that better version. That's amazing. I want to say, and we talk a lot about boundaries on the podcast. And so I don't think I ever recall chatting with a therapist who was so specific about the person, the type of person that they were looking to attract. I see that in other realms of, you know, different professions. But when I had a chance to read your information and, and work with you, Eve Marie, I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's amazing to be able to set a standard for how and who you want to work with and what type of energy you're going to be engaging with all day. It can be inspiring for all of us when it comes to boundaries and really cultivating what type of energy do I want to attract even in the professional setting, right? Absolutely. Yes. I, I could totally understand that. And I do think, you know, you did answer that question beautifully in terms of, you know, what you want your clients to know is you are specific on the type of person that you yes. bring in. And, and so that means yes. that some people are not going to be a good fit. And that's okay. And Correct. that's a part of life that we, life wouldn't be this beautiful thing that it is if everybody was a good fit for everybody. Correct. Correct. There's many, many therapists and many, many specialties. Exactly. And we have one more Final question for you. What is okay. the one question that you wished people would ask you more often? I don't know. I think that when it comes to my practice, really trying to help people find their place of peace. I think a lot of times people get caught in the details of, of their life and I take it to the the higher level of looking at really where it is you want to go, you know? And so maybe if people would ask me more of what is, what is my prescription for peace or how do I get to know myself? You know what I mean? Certainly that's my practice and I'm helping people do that. But a lot of times that's not what they're coming or what they think they're coming for. That's always my agenda. <laughs> 
and it tends to work out well. <laughs> that is a very, very good point there. And I will say, we want to thank you so much, Eve Marie, for just spending time with us. We appreciate your patience with our technical difficulties as well. I'm glad we were able to still get the conversation done, even though we had some technical difficulties. Yes, we really appreciate you. And we'd love to let folks know where they can find you, how they can learn more about your practice and your work and potentially book a session with you. Absolutely. So my practice is Eve's Place of Peace. And all you have to do is Google Eve's Place of Peace and Eve Marie comes up, my website comes up, and I have all my contact information on there. And really, my practice is, you know, I've been in the pursuit of peace, like I said, for over 40 years, and that's why it's Eve's Place of Peace. So that's what I'm here to help people find their prescription for peace as it makes for a very joyful life. Yay. Well, thank you so much, Eve Marie. We really appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Hey, lady. It's Terry here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your impactful podcast and how you can generate multiple streams of income. You can visit podcastwithterry.com to register for free. I hope to see you there. Thanks for joining us today. Please note, that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Greatness is my birthright, so I no longer ask for permission. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.